Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J. Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J., take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Tuesday, October 29th, but of course this is a bonus feature, so who knows when you're listening to it. It's a podcast. You can listen to it anytime. Uh, as I always do on bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I asked our distinguished guest to, inter- to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I am Lee Bay, former architecture critic for the Chicago Sun-Times and currently author of the new book, Southern Exposure, the Overlooked Architecture of Chicago's South Side. That's correct. That is correct. Robert Mueller (laughs) agrees with you, Lee Bay. Uh, He got all that right. Uh, Lee Bay, yes, indeed. We're going to talk about your book, uh, Southern Exposure, which unfortunately I have not read yet. All right. Just a little disadvantage here. But I did read the excerpt that was in uh, my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered every day. Uh, And uh, so I could talk to you about that. But I also just want to take the opportunity to introduce you uh, to our listeners. Lee Bay is a name of if you're a fan of architecture if you're a fan of newspapers you know uh he wrote for many years for the sun times uh so lee talk a little bit about yourself introduce introduce yourself to our listeners from chicago originally uh yeah not, not a lot to tell born in chicago born on the south side um originally in south shore the western part the poor part in the working class part of south shore uh grew up in avalon park uh went to chicago vocational high school columbia college for uh, you know, for you know, for journalism, and um, first started out uh, a week after college at the Old City News Bureau of mm-hmm. Chicago, and that led me to a 13-year career uh, in journalism. Worked for the Daily Southtown for a while, Sun Times, uh, at the end of the journalism career, and then the mayor's office under Daily as a deputy chief. Oh, of staff. I remember that. Yeah, for urban planning and all kind of places. I've yeah. completely. Yeah, I remember. I remember calling you up for an interview once. Yeah, you were. I bet for I Daily. said no. I bet yeah. I said no, didn't I? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. And the Daily people didn't really talk to me, but that's a whole other story. Avalon Park. Where is that? Uh, Avalon Park is, um, you know, on the south side, kind of bordered by um, South Chicago on the east, uh, 79th on the north, I would say maybe the Illinois Central Metro tracks on the west and 87th Street to the to the south, kind of an odd triangle near Chatham. It's the Chatham is the better known of the two communities. They're next to each other. Mm -hmm. And um, everyone knows Chatham. uh, But uh, Avalon Park is like the. 
you know, it's like Rhoda's sister, right? It's like the it's like the one that people can't quite remember. Rhoda's sister. Yeah. Who was Rhoda's sister? See there, it was a woman who does Marge Simpson's. Yes, voice Julie Kavner was That's Rhoda's right. sister. That's right. See? Excellent for knowing that. Uh, I, I I had a crush on her back in the day, Lee Babe. But we're not going to go into but that. Yeah, uh, you're too. not my therapist. You're my guest. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, okay, so Avalon Park, seventy uh, ninth to eighty seventh. I've already established that you're ten years younger than me. So you were growing up uh, in the sixties and seventies. What was it like back then? Uh, well, it depends on what the there was. I mean, in the neighborhoods that I grew up in, um, you know, certainly um, coming up in uh, the part of South Shore where we were, you know, all working class families, you know, um, own our own homes, that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, f- you know, most of our fathers, uh, you know, had factory jobs. Mine did at Reynolds Metals Company in McCook, Illinois. No, no longer there. And then, then when he started making a little bit more scratch, we moved a little bit further south to Avalon Park. You know, kind of the same thing, kind of a, you know, strivers and others li- living there. But um, you know, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, you, you know, you had to, you had to fight. You had to, you know, you had to know your way around the world a bit. Um, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a good place and a good time to grow up in. And what kind of kid were you back in those days? Were you into sports, movies? What oh, were you into? Geez, man, well, I was, seems like I was into trouble more than anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was always hanging out with people I shouldn't have been, but like to like to be. But um, fortunately, I was smart enough not to get caught in many of the things that I that I did. But um, you know, just an average, you know, average type, you know, kid growing up, growing up on the South Side. Um, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I like sports a little bit, like sports, liked, uh, I did like movies growing up, um, did like architecture a bit more than, more than I knew. Um, but yeah. How'd you find your way to architecture? Well, you know, it's interesting the, the book kind of talks about this a bit. My father was a big fan of architecture buildings, just all the kind of stuff. And, you know, in showing me around the city, I was kind of getting this kind of education, uh, of it. I remember him explained to me what Dutch roofs were right, right at one time. You know, these kind of, you've seen these these houses where the roof isn't uh, a gable roof, where it comes to a point like a triangle and it isn't a flat roof. It's almost like a, a hybrid of the two, where, the, where it's almost like an octagon cut in half is the roof line. And um, and I remember, you know, there was a three there were three houses, three houses on 73rd Street that were like this. And I said, what is this? And he said, oh, it's a Dutch roof. And he was right, you know, as I found out later. Um, you know, he probably... Wanted to be an architect, um, but certainly had an eye for buildings. So when we were, you know, he he would point these things out. After a while, as I grew older, I would sort of, well, what's that? What is that building? You know, how does that, how's that held up? I do remember, I don't talk about this in a book, though. I do remember at one point when I was in, had to be fourth grade, third or fourth grade, uh, I pestered him because I wanted to see the Sears Tower get completed. It was, it was almost, the, it was the height it is now, but, uh, but it wasn't complete yet, right? So he had this um, black Buick Electra, convertible which figures into the book and we drive downtown a couple of blocks east and he dr- drops the top uh and we see the building you know uh rise up over the uh the, the edge of the loop and it was just fantastic yeah yeah, it was an eye-opening moment for you. You know, it's funny. I'm listening to you talk, Lee, and I realize the difference between human beings. Let me just bear with me as I tell you this story. All right. Um, I go through life Bliss, blissfully unaware of architecture, okay? So when I used to do those preservation stories in the 90s, I was acting on the good faith that they are preservationists, that the buildings they were extolling the virtues of were worth saving because I'm really kind of blind to stuff. And plus, I walk around, follow me in this lead, I just kind of walk around in my mind of my own, and I don't even notice things that are around me. And to, t- to prove the point, one day I had a friend, we were coming out of the CVS just down the street where I live, and the guy goes, 
Oh my God, look at that building over there. This is a building, Lee Bay, that I've walked by a million times. Look at that steeple. It's got a steeple. I didn't know it had a steeple. <laughs> he goes, how could you walk past that building all this time and not have... But you know what? Some people are just like that. They're... I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. It's like... Who knows what where my head is at the time, but I'm not looking where I'm. Yeah, we're looking what's around me. Obviously, you on the other hand, you were absorbing everything that was around you. You know that's true, and you know the thing is, and you know, don't beat yourself up too bad. I mean, Chicago has so much great architecture, big and small. At some point, it does begin to wash over you, which you know, in some respects, is the point of the, you know, which is to becomes the genesis of the book, but. Um, one of the one of the forming you know thoughts behind the book but chicago has so much stuff it isn't like some cities uh, you know where there's you know a half dozen good buildings and they all stick out and you know you know them but here you know you may find well i'll give you an example I'll, I'll give you an example um in the book there's a church at 84th and stony island passed this church up all my life uh stony island church of god i think it is either god or christ god stony island church of god 1600 East 84th Street. I was on my way to photographing another building for the book, and I passed this building up, and I thought, oh, that's actually, yeah, I remember that. That's actually, that's actually more clever than I thought, you know. So I doubled back and, um, and check it out. It's a beautiful modernist building, you know, built on a budget, clearly, but it's brick and limestone. And I thought, well, if the building has an interesting history, maybe I'll put it, if the building has an interesting history, if the church does, maybe I'll put it in the book. Mm -hmm. And um, did some research, and it turns out it was by a guy, Ray Sturmer, uh, who's unknown, uh, but he was chief of design for a while for Raymond Lowy, um, the industrial designer who designed the Studebaker automobile and the Lucky Strike cigarette package and that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, all right, that's pretty cool. Passes, you know, 54 years old, passes building up all my life and never noticed it until that one day two years ago. So you had a Ben Jarofsky moment where your eyes suddenly open. That's right. Uh, by the way, I'm not beating myself up too much just to go back to what you said, because I was thinking great thoughts like like the bulls. I was just thinking about the bulls, Lee. <laughs> well, so you were as a kid were looking at architecture. I was worrying about the bulls starting lineup. Uh, obsessions I've had. How in the world did uh, young Lee Bay who's coming of age in, let's say, the early 80s, uh, who is maybe running with the wrong crowd, mm -hmm. uh, but finds his way out of running with the wrong crowd uh, to uh, graduate and go to college. How'd you find your way to newspapers? You know, it's funny. Um, I went to Chicago Vocational High School, uh, you know, for, for high school, and was majoring in print shops. So two things happened, one in 81 uh, and one in 80 late 82, early 83, the thing that happened in 81 is my father died. And um, I was 15, I hadn't turned 16 yet. And it was sudden. Um, uh, and as a result, it's like, oh, I, geez, I better, I gotta clean up my act, man. You know, I don't have a, you know. So so there was that, right? And um, and uh, so, th but the funny thing, the, so that, that, that part is not so funny, but the funny part was, uh, we're major, I'm majoring in print shop, how to operate, Rate of printing press, which in 1983, you know, there's there's printing houses, you know, you know, printing, you know, catalog houses, you know, there, there's a there's a job, high paying jobs operating various printing presses, right? Uh, so we go to this. Our teacher takes us on a um, field trip to McCormick Place, right? And uh, it's a print fair, right? 
and all the printers are there. The guys are giving me their card, giving all of us their cards. You know, when you graduate from high school, you know, give us a call. These jobs are paying, you know, at the time, this was decent money, you know, $14 an hour, you know, $18 an hour in 19, early 1980 money. And I thought, okay, great. Now I can find a job and I get out of school, don't have to go to college. So I remember in this, just as, as we're about to leave, there is this wing of the exhibit that says the future of printing. So me and this guy named Antonio, I'll never forget, I said, man, let's go in here and see what the future is. So we go in, and, <laughs> there, and, and there is a guy in, yeah. in, a, uh, in, a, in a white yeah. kind of doctor's coat, lab coat, right? Uh-huh. And he's got this computer with a screen, and he types something on the computer, and there's this long and, you know, uh, I mean, you know, you know, chain of something, you know, gizmos underneath, a, you know, that, he's, that this computer is connected to. And at the other end, you know, eight feet away, a printed object comes out, a printed, you know, document comes out. And then he takes things um, that are already printed and he says, you need to make copies of them or, or adjust them. And he puts them in, you know, he scans them in somehow and makes the adjustments and those things come out. And they're, you know, perfectly printed. I remember telling Antonio, this uh, mother loving thing can do what we just spent two years learning. And I was terrified, right? Because, um, I, you know, growing up on the southeast side, you can see the steel mills closing, these kind of things, right? So you think, oh, this is this is what's going to happen to this industry. I can see clear as Man, a bell. you figured that out when you were 16 you know, years old? Well, you know, when you, you were when, way ahead of your time. Yeah, right? you know, when, you know, when, 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 when one's father dies, you you, you get yeah, you, you get you uh, the kid, which, and, 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 my, and my mother was no slouch either, so that was good. So a few months later, um, my English teacher, Thomas Doyle, who I am still in contact with on Facebook, is passing back English papers we've done. And he says, you're a good writer. You ever think about journalism as a career? Wow. And I thought, and it, and it, and it, and it, and it just, did, you know, the bell went off. I thought, journalism, that's what I want to be. And that's how it started. Wait, time out. So you just journal. Did you read the newspapers? I did. I did. You know, I read newspapers and, you know, read books. I mean, you know, it was part of growing up in the house. My mother was a voracious reader. So we had this library that my father built for her in our house, a, a bookcase, giant book. I mean, it must have been seven feet tall and three feet wide, filled with every book and encyclopedia, or more than actually it was, I remember it was, it's about four feet wide. And any book that she got, she would put in there and it was all free to watch. So, you know, we, we all grew up reading, my sisters and I. So, you know, it never dawned on me that I can make a living writing the, you know, like the things I'd read. Uh, so it all made sense. It's like, it was like the, it's like a puzzle in which the pieces just fell together all at once. Were there any uh, newspaper writers at the time that you idolized or that you wanted to be like? I did. I liked uh, I liked Roy Coe. I liked Roger Simon. Um, I liked um, I liked Gary Deeb. Remember him? He yeah, used to the be TV the TV guy. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love Gary Deeb. The terror of the tube. <laughs> yeah. Right? He would write. He would. He, yeah. You know. He, and he would. You know. He would write these these critical pieces on things like the Love Boat and Three's Company and just roast these folks for, for this bad television. And uh, But he was kind when it came to black TV, right? I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, him siding with um, uh, John Amos and um, Esther Rowe about the increasing uh, you know, buffoonery that the J.J. character on yeah. Good Times was. I mean, I, I thought, that's kind of cool, you know, so... I had this stuff in the system and, and was a fan of it, but until that moment, never thought that could be a place for me. And so you go to Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about uh, 1983. Good God, I'm trying to picture. Harold Washington has just been elected mayor of the city of Chicago. Plays a huge role in this because Harold Washington gets elected, you know, right in my, you know, uh, at the end of my senior year. 
And I tell you, I mean, it's hard to describe now, but you were, you were there. I mean, anything seemed possible, uh, particularly if you're African-American in, in this city. I see the Herald Washington yeah. thing you got there. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and, and it just was cool. And, and there was a guy um, named Larry Muhammad. I'll never forget him. I still keep in contact with him. Larry Muhammad. Larry Muhammad was editor of a paper called the Inglewood Express. Now, I lived far from Inglewood. I lived in Avalon Park. But uh, one of his reporters was in my shop class. And somehow this guy, Daryl was his name, uh, had some kind of deal where he either could print part of the paper or something for extra credit. So not too long after, and I mean within days of Mr. Doyle telling me about journalism, I noticed that uh, this, this paper, Inglewood Express, in the, in the shop that we're in, and I asked Daryl, what's this all about? This is your name in here. You're, you're, and he says, yeah, my byline is here. And he told me about the paper. Um, and I said, I, I want to, I said, do you guys meet? I want to go to the next meeting. So he says, sure. So I remember riding my bike from 8357 South Constance all the way to the Kelly Branch Library, which is something like 61st and Racine and Inglewood, right? Back in the spring of 83 to learn about this paper and figure out if I could write for it. No pay, of course, but it was such, such an electric time. And my first bylines came from uh, Brother Larry Muhammad, who had been a member of the Nation of Islam previously. And I think he had been an editor or, or writer at Muhammad Speaks. I met Salim Wakil. The great back, way back then. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're 17 years old, not yet 18, and just an, an electric time. And so all that stuff begins to... Was Salim working for uh, uh, the Nation of Islam newspaper back then? You know, I think he was... At, in, I'm, in fact, I'm sure he was at, in these times then. Yes, I, he was. Yeah. He did an interview. Now we're on a tangent with a tangent, so I'll get off the tangent, but I have to say this. Sure, sure. Uh, one of the most influential articles, I've told him this, and he's probably sick of people telling him stuff like this, but he did an uh, interview with Lou Palmer. And when I had just moved to Chicago, I was in the reader because mm-hmm. Salimi's story for the reader for the right. time. It just blew me away. Lou, uh, Lou Palmer. I can't get the words out. The, the, the courage he had, he mm-hmm. walked away from like the pinnacle job. Cause sure his, did. his conscience couldn't su- sustain itself anymore working there for mm-hmm. the daily news. And he was the premier black journalist in the city of Chicago. Very influential. He walked away from it and he and Salim get into it. It was in there. And I was like, wow, I know what you're saying. When you read something that like, I want to write stuff like Salim, you know, exactly. Exactly. Uh, fires you up so okay so now you're fired up you go to columbia mm-hmm. and then you get the reality uh of a job with a newspaper talk about the dream and the aspirations of wanting to work for a newspaper and what the reality is oh i loved it i loved it so you know my first job was at the uh the boot camp of all boot camps the city news bureau right so this you know doesn't exist anymore but you know this is a wire service that was owned by the you know by all tin papers when we had tin papers at the time back in you know 100 years ago but only down to the sun times and the tribune but they send you out on you know the 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 crummiest of assignments and you're you know you're you're trading information with mean desk sergeants at Chicago police headquarters and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and i absolutely loved it yeah. i i I cannot describe to you uh, how much I loved it. I mean, it was gritty. I had this uh, 73 Thunderbird that I had, that I bought like for 600 bucks. That was my get around car. And, um, you know, I would pull up the crime scenes, you know, you know, journalism has changed so much then. I mean, 
gonna we're gonna turn into two old men talking right. about the old days. You should have seen it, Lee. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but you could you could you know you didn't have to go through media spokespeople. Yeah. You know you could go straight to a you know to a violent crime violent crime sergeant in area two out in the south side and. You know what the blankety blank do you want? You know, just give me. You know, and you and you go back and forth, and sometimes you earn. In fact, I was giving last week just to show you how things go. I was at the Newberry Library with a book signing, and one of the guys at the end was Rutherford Wilson, who was a sergeant, violent crime sergeant, back at Area Two when I used to cover crime. He brought in some pieces that I'd written for the Sun Times, and I, you know, I knew him at City News Bureau, but. You know, but at, you know, but he's I still talk to him at the Sun Times, and he brought him in with his wife, and his wife says he looked great. I mean, he must, I can't, you know, if I'm 53 now, he must be in his 70s. Looks fantastic. His wife says he all oh, every time you're on television, he talks about how much. And I said, man, he he's, he he saved my mind part with information more times than I can recall. But um, so it was great just to have that. So it, it it was a great time. It was a great. You're 22 years old, and if you're African American, you know you're you know you're you're used to in some cases some parts of the city being not open to you and some parts of the city being open to you, but some parts not being open to you. And this press pass, you could go anywhere. You could ask anyone anything. And I just loved it. Now, I just loved was it. Was there ever a moment when people didn't believe that you were the reporter because you're a black guy? Not at all. Not at all. I guess they would figure only, it, what did, uh, what did uh, Sean Connery tell uh, Kevin Costner and the Untouchables when he, he took his word, he took, Sean Connery's word that he was a, a fed yeah. and uh, Sean Con and uh, Kevin Costner says, well, you just believe me. You just without checking. And uh, he says something like, uh, who would claim to be such a thing <laughs> <laughs> if he wasn't Lee Bay for 10 trivia points who wrote the script for the untouchables. I'm going to go with David Mamet. And I think you would be correct. Give right. that young man 10 trivia points. D there you go. Uh, very good. I just threw that out of me. He didn't, he didn't bat an eye, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you get a job with the bright one with the sun times. That's mm -hmm. a pretty big deal. It is. And you had your picture in the paper, as I recall, cause you were the architecture critic, correct? Oh yeah. I worked my way up to that. I was, I was GA at first and you know, special project. Projects. And then um, I remember you, you remember Mel Reynolds, the, the wayward congressman. I mean, I got a piece of that. Me and Maureen O'Donnell, who writes today the best obits in the world for the Sun-Times. Lee Bay, you do not have to tell the Ben Jarowski show about Maureen O'Donnell. She is regular on our show. All right, here, all right. Okay? Well, good. And, and ought to be. Ought to be. Well, she and I, and we're friends to this day. We, we were partnered up for a year or more uh, on the Mel Reynolds story. Uh, kicked tail, scooped everything. And... Um, and after that ended, um, in fact, the day he was sentenced, my my middle daughter, well, she was my youngest daughter, obviously, at the time. My daughter Cassandra was born. I was married then. And um, in fact, I, I couldn't see the sentencing uh, because the pager went off and I had to go back, I had to go home so uh, and, and take the wife to the doc, to the hospital. And I was off a couple of weeks, right? They gave me, I don't know. Seems like it was a month. I mean, I had a long time off, Sounds and like a um, lot of time. It was. Man, it the sometimes was good in those it days. Was good. It was good. I mean, it was with, with money too, paid right. Whoa! Can I get in on that? I know. <laughs> only, only if you got a time machine. Right? Yeah, really. And when I came back, uh, I remember just being exhausted, not because of the baby, but I wanted to do something else. I even thought when I was off, maybe I'd switch careers, right? Uh -huh. And. Um, Got wind. Uh, actually, my editor at the time, uh, Roger Flaherty, um, who's no longer here at the Sun Times, but we still stay in contact, uh, said, you know, Nigel Wade, the new editor from London, wants to start an architecture beat. And I thought, oh, I'll do that. Not knowing much about architecture at all. What I thought, and this is the 
I mean, I was dumb, but, <laughs> but for some reason I thought if I asked for the thing that I know I won't get, he'll give me another beat. And the beat that I wanted was transportation. That's the one I really wanted. Yeah. So he gives me architecture. And I remember telling him, Nigel, I said, um, I don't, you know, despite me asking for this, I really don't know that much about architecture. So he says, you write well, you'll be okay. Three days later, he brings in this book that he's read by Alan Ehrenholt called Chicago of the 1950s. It talks about sort of three places, three times in Chicago's uh, history during this time. And one of the chapters was about Bronzeville. So he comes to me, Nigel, with that posh British accent, which I won't do. And he <laughs> says, <on. laughs> he says, uh, this, this neighborhood, Bronzeville, does it still exist? I said, yeah, yeah, it does. And he said, um, it's still there. These, some of these buildings are still there. And he has them underlined. I said, oh, yeah, yeah they're, they're there. And um, he gives me the book for the weekend, and he says, I want you to write stories that tells us where this place is now. I spend the weekend with this book, and all those places that my father showed me on this day in April of 1980, and I've been in and out of Bronzeville, you know, all those times. It hadn't really connected with that, his trip with me with what's happening. It seems like his voice just came back, right? And I came back Monday, um, with an outline of, uh, you know, of a, you know, of a, of a series and what we're going to do. But that was my introduction to architecture. I mean, that, that's, that's how I made my bones, if you will, in, in architecture, writing a year-long uh, series of stories about the preservation of these eight landmark buildings in Bronzeville that Harold was, was working with the community to preserve that Rich Daly wasn't. And, um, and we pushed him to... Uh, to so he preserved to, the buildings. Sure did. They, they, all, they all stand. Now, I don't, I don't take all credit for that. I mean, the people in the community were advocating, but... Uh, but you know, clearly the stories I, this weekend, I was at the Wabash YMCA, the old former Wabash YMCA, which is the Renaissance collaborative apartments. Now that was one of the buildings that were, that was endangered. And I was giving a tour and the executive director who was executive director back then, uh, is there and she's talking to the group and she says, um, you know, you know, Lee helped us save this building, and uh, and and she talks about the the role that was that we played. It was it was it was fun stuff. You know, the idea was the Tribune had an architecture critic, has an architecture critic, and the idea for us and the Sun Times was generous to let me do this. Was to let me figure out what a working class tabloid's architecture critic would would be like. Yeah. So so it's not downtown stuff. It's neighborhood neighborhood stuff. stuff. Yeah. By the way, I just want to uh, talk about the Ben Droski show coming full circle. Last week we had as a guest on this show, and you could hear it as a download. Uh, Conrad Worrell, who talked about the fact uh, that his father moved to the city of Chicago way back when to take a job at the Wabash sure YMCA, and he talked about his love for track and field. Uh, it's been fostered by some of the things he did when he was a kid hanging out. So mm -hmm. it all comes together. It does. It does. Uh, I mean, just think about that tw uh, twice in a w less than a week, the Wabash YMCA has remembered. Uh, all right. And so uh, you were the architect critic and then you moved. Uh, yeah, I do remember City Hall. What talk about the contrast between the reporter uh, dealing with uh, elected officials and uh, uh, City Hall types and then being a City Hall type yourself dealing with reporters? You know, it's funny. We all all Chicagoans think we all know how, how the city works, right? And, and, and we do to a certain extent. And then on top of that, reporters, we really think we know how the city works on top of that, right? I got to there and I really found out how the, how the city works. Um, and, and as an education, I, I couldn't beat it. You know, um, and, and as, a, as a, you know, the ability to observe, you know, 
it's what we do as as reporters. But to be in the room when things are happening and the finding, it, it, it was great. I, I was there for three years and I got hired away by Skidmore, Owings and Merrill. But those three years were electric. I mean, I had um, access to the mayor and I was deputy chief, not chief of staff, but I had direct access to him, uh, to, to the mayor, without having to go through an intermediary. Um, I guess Soldier Field was the was the, the biggest project that I had there, getting it, the thing done on time. It was designed when I got there. Um, but it was, a, it was a heck of a experience. And, and, and I learned, you know, and being a part of that, you know, you know, I've been gone, what, from City Hall, 04 to 15 years, right, uh, now. And I still walk, walk through the place and, you know, to, to take a shortcut on cold days and, you know, hey, Lee, how's it going? You know, Lee, you know, come here, let me let me tell you, you know, you, it, it's like being in a, one of those organized crime movies where the, where the guy never quite gets out, right? You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> never out, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You think you're out, uh, and you're always still. And by the way, that when you were talking about that, people think they know everything. Uh, it was about I can't remember how many years ago it was Lee, but maybe like eight years ago. I happened to be uh, uh, in uh, City Hall, and there was an aide to uh, Richard Mel, mm-hmm. the former alderman. He's no gone, uh, no longer alderman anyway. And this aide. When he was introduced to me, he goes, oh, you're Ben Jarofsky. Been reading your stuff for a long time. Let me just tell you something. He goes, you think you're always right, but you're not always right. And I, <laughs> I just thought, wow, that's kind of a compliment. You're not yeah. always right, which means that sometimes you sometimes are right. Sometimes you are right. I'll that's take right. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, anyway, all right, let's uh, fast forward now to your book, uh, Southern Exposures, uh, the Overlooked Architecture of Chicago's South Side. Uh, what motivated you, to, motivated you to do this book? Well, a couple of things. Um, there was the Chicago Architecture Biennial of 2017, and I was asked to um, uh, to do something something photographic based, photography based for for that biennial. Um, the biennial, the previous year, the first one uh, in 15, most of it had been located in the Cultural Center. In 17, the idea was to be able to spread the wealth to five different sort of satellite places in the neighborhood that could do exhibits that people could come see. So mine was at the DeSable Museum, and I thought, you know, I've always wanted to say something about the South Side, right? So um, that's, so that's kind of how, how, how it began. While I'm shooting the exhibit, I mean, within weeks of getting the assignment to do this, um, I don't even think I've taken the first photograph yet. This is April of 17, and I'm, I, you know, and yeah, that's right, and, and vegetation hasn't come in yet, so I'm actually waiting until further in the spring to actually do this. Northwestern University Press, they, they had an acquisitions editor, Jill Perry, who was new at the time. And she says, hey, you know, let, let's meet. So we meet. And, I, and she says, do you have any book ideas? I said, uh, I don't know, maybe. But right now I'm doing this exhibit. My mind is caught up with that. And she says, what's this exhibit about? I tell her. She says, that's your book. So um, we worked out the details within a month or two. So the book and the exhibit kind of grew up together. Um, but the book goes places that the exhibit doesn't go. The um, exhibit at, at the Sable, which was actually pretty well received, had around 20 pictures, you know, large photographs in it. Um, the book has, I think, 60 sites in it and um, really uses text to kind of, you know, uh, get into some of the reasons why the South Side, the history, why we need to do better by the South Side, you know, all kinds of things that, that, that are hinted at in the exhibit and the discussions around it, but are spelled out in the book. And uh, talk about some of the uh, sites that you photographed and are prof- profiled in the book. Uh, Pride Cleaner, I wrote it down. Let's talk about that. Pride Cleaners is uh, a fantastic modernist 
uh, post-war cleaners at 79th and St. Lawrence in the Chatham community. It has this hyperbolic paraboloid roof, self-supporting concrete roof that's, that's, that tilts to the sky. Uh, it looks like a hang glider on top of a glass box right, of, of a building. And um, it is still in great condition, never restored, uh, but never mucked up. And it has a, a sign, which is more like a marquee in Vegas, uh, that goes along with it. And just as an ensemble, you know, you're going down 79th Street, a street largely built up by the 1920s, 1930s, and all of a sudden this outrageous building kind of roars into your attention. And um, so, that, so that's one that, that's in a book. Not landmarked, not a lot written about it. Um, uh, so the idea was to bring this to people's uh, attention. Uh, Is it still a... Dry cleaner. Still a dry cleaners. Um, it has a new owner since I since I wrote the book, uh, who's spruced it up a bit. But but uh, I met him about a month ago, and he says business is going well. So it so it it stayed in built as a dry cleaner, stayed in business as a dry cleaner, and still is today. Wow, and uh, it's not uh, landmarked. Not landmarked. Not landmarked. Um, you know, I've been sort of I, the the book argues for it, and. Um, and, you know, behind the scenes, I, you know, I, I help whatever effort that could be around to help it, uh, uh, I, you know, I kind of nudge whatever effort there could be to help it get landmark status. But it really, it really should be a city landmark. And the other one is the uh, law library. At the University of Chicago. And this is funny because um, uh, the architecture critic for the Tribune, a certain guy. Yeah, uh, uh, who we go unnamed? He just uh, go unnamed. Uh, Blair Kamen. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> well, he was unnamed. He was unnamed until now. I figured <laughs> yeah. I might as well name him. Right? Yeah. Uh, wrote in his review of the book that 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 shouldn't count uh, because the the building won an award and you know it's and you know uh, when it was restored a few years ago and it's recognized, but it really isn't. And and there's two reasons why. One is wait, the, wait, wait, hold on. Mm-hmm. What he wrote a review of your book. He did, and he and he mm-hmm. said that. The law library should not count. Why? Uh, because it's already recognized because it's won architecture awards and and uh, oh, so it's not overlooked. So it's not overlooked. Ah, I get uh, it. But it is overlooked, and ah. I, I can give you one example, at least one example why. Uh, back in sixteen seventeen, there's a documentary on PBS on Aero Saarinen, the guy Saarinen, the architect who designed it. Uh-huh. We you, we know his work, the TWA that kind of concrete bird-like 1959 TWA uh, terminal in New York that's now a hotel, uh, beautiful buildings, the, the St. Louis Arch, you know, this is his work. And this is a pretty exhaustive documentary done by his son in, in, in part. I think his son was a co-producer, actually appears in it. They show a big chunk of his work, a huge chunk of the work he did for colleges. They skip this building entirely. Uh, so I thought, geez, if a Saarinen can get lost, that any building on the south side is is uh, is is fair game. Also, uh, what was interesting is that when this picture was at the Desable exhibit back in seventeen, it's huge. I mean, it's maybe I don't know. It's it's maybe two feet wide, or uh, two and a half feet in one direction and two feet in the other. Uh, and you know, the Desable Museum is located not far from the University of Chicago campus, right, right across the street from the hospital campus, actually. And I got people from the University of Chicago students who said. What, what's this building again? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's, on the, it's at 60th and um, Woodlawn or thereabouts, so it's um, far from the center of campus, mm-hmm. uh, and it's pushed back off the street. But so the so the you know you know it doesn't the book doesn't say these buildings are unseen. But when we but we but when we talk about architecture in the city and we name the best buildings, 
None of these buildings in this book yeah. will come up. You hear that, Blair? That's so right. take that. Uh, well, the other thing is maybe uh, here's the other thing. Maybe it's just something that Lee Bay wanted to write about. Did you ever think There's that? that? There is that. <laughs> Good God. That's right. But but there is some reason behind why, why, right. why it's there. Well, cut him some slack. Yeah. Uh, when was the last time you saw Blair Kamen? Do you remember? Oh, probably, probably about a year and a half ago. He he and I are not enemies. I mean, we we no. go out to lunch every 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 now and again. And you notice how uh, good his hair looks. That's because my wife cuts it. My wife's a hairdresser. Really, really, yeah, really. yeah. So anytime you see Blair Gaiman, he's looking good. Go, my, your hair is looking I'm impressed. Good. Yeah. I'm impressed. Uh, and uh, so, all right. And the third building I wanted to talk to, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright building in Pullman. West Pullman, um, neighborhood just uh, uh, just sort of south of Roseland and west of Roseland a little bit. It's at 121st, wow. 12147 South Harvard. I don't mind giving the address because the, um, the building is still for sale. Uh, the house is still for sale. So th- this is the Stephen A. Foster House and Stables, not the Camptown raises Stephen so A. Foster, gotcha. but uh, a, an attorney who was um, an executive at the, um, uh, the the West Pullman Land Association, which kind of built this part that, that part of the city. Not George Pullman's Pullman, mm-hmm. where I live actually, but uh, a kind of successor to it. That's a little bit north, a little bit south, a little bit west. So this would be. You know, 120th and Halstead, okay, uh, mm-hmm. around that area. You know, Stewart. Wow, that's a Frank Lloyd Wright house there. It is, and it was his. It was it was Wright's. It was um, it was uh, Foster's summer home, um, and uh, it's a beautiful house. Uh, looks more Japanese, not not prairie at all. Built in 1900. Uh, the stables are still there. They're kind of like a garage and maybe like a spare room kind of situation there. Sits on a ton of land, and um, uh, it was for sale. For uh, you know, just under two hundred thousand, and has, wasn't selling. The price got dropped while I was writing the book to one seventy five, and um, you know they, they get a nibble, you know they get it under contingency, but nothing ever comes comes together because the building at one seventy five, which is a tenth of the price of the of the cheapest right house, you know, even I mean even less than the t- a tenth uh, of the cheapest right house you can get your hands on in America, um, it's still in West Pullman. Yeah. And um, where, where houses could be gotten for thirty thousand, ninety thousand. Why don't you buy it? Well, you know, we see what the royalties <laughs> for this book. <laughs> if you're, <laughs> could, this could be a telethon to the to the view to the listeners. If you want Lee Bay to buy this house, buy his book. Everybody, let's uh, let's get a GoFundMe page. Uh, no, no, buy the book. No, I oh, it, forget the GoFundMe yeah, page. Buy, buy the, the book. book. Yeah, buy the we'll book. do it by the book. So That's everybody, right. kicking a little ten extra dollars for the book. Uh, but no, that that would be great if uh, you purchased the Frank Lloyd Wright house. Uh, uh, my astounding ignorance, I did not know it was there. See, exactly. You know? Yeah, no, no one, no, few people do. Yeah, and that is really amazing mm-hmm. because, uh, as Lee was saying, they're architectural jewels, and they sell for fabulous amounts of money, like in Oak Park or what have you, mm-hmm. and uh, the Roby House in um, uh, Hyde Park and. I did not know there was one there uh, in West Pullman. Uh, so, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, I'll see what I got in the petty cash drawer, Lee, and help All right. out a little we'll bit. We'll hit that up on the way out. Yeah. Um, you know, a question that occurred to me before I let you go is this. You were uh, raised, born and raised on the South Side, went to high school on the South Side. Uh, you still live on the South Side. You wrote a book, uh, Southern Exposure, about overlooked architecture on the South Side. Have you ever given thought to moving to the North Side? No. Well, you know, when, when my daughter, my oldest daughter, went to uh, Walter Payton, and I would go, and I would, uh, we, we'd walk around Old Town, and I would tell her what Old Town looked like when I was young. Uh, you know, you, you know, you see some pretty women are hanging around there. You think oh, this wouldn't be a bad place to live, but uh, but but my heart is on this on the South Side. I think the closest I may get, if I were to move, you know, might be 
uh, you know, the closest north, farthest north I might move might be Hyde Park. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Oh my goodness! I should, <laughs> whoa, really moving out there? Oh yeah, back. really pushing Going the boundaries. North. Yeah, I yeah. gotta tell you this story. Sugar's uh, uh, the alderwoman of the tenth ward, which yeah. is just south of where you live now. Uh, I was doing a story about her a long time. She was born and raised in the same neighborhood that she lives now and represents the mm. far southeast side of the city of Chicago, right adjoining uh, Indiana. Yeah. And there was a day I was hanging out with her doing this profile of her for the reader. And she had to go to a function that was at uh, a promontory in Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. And that prom- there's a restaurant, the promontory mm-hmm. in Hyde Park. So Sue Garza, God bless her, I love her to death. This is 2016 knew nothing about Hyde Park. It might as well have been on the other side of Mars. So she's going, she's asking me, the, the same guy, remember I told you, Lee, my walk around the world, my eyes closed thinking about the bulls. She's asking me where Promontory is in Hyde Park. So what did I think? I thought she meant Promontory Point. The beach, you say Promontory, yeah. oh, you mean Promontory yeah. Point. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm like, you never been to Promontory Point? That's where, like, everybody used to go to get high and stuff. No, I never went to. So she, we drive, we park. I lead her out to Promontory Point, which is, everybody should know, was a spit of land that goes out into Lake Michigan at, like, what, 55th Street? Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no one there. She goes, I don't think this is the right place. We walk all our way. We go to the, at the end of the house, at the end of Promontory Point, there's like a little house or yeah, something. Field house. Field yeah, house. Yeah. So she calls her, it's the Promontory Restaurant in Hyde Park. Anyway, that just goes to show you the South Side's a big place, Lee Bay. You can live on 110th Street and not know what Hyde Park is. You can live in Hyde Park and not know what 110th yeah. Street. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, maybe you have to do a, a, a uh, your next book, uh, Overlooked Architecture in Hyde Park. Uh, Lee Bay, it's a pleasure talking to you, our privilege. And, Same um, here. Uh, I want to tell you that our dear friend, our mutual friend, Sergio Mims, I'm going to put this out here uh, live uh, on the record, has said that you will be a guest. We're going to sit together, you, me, uh, and Sergio, and we're just going to geek out on a bonus show talking about the new Eddie Murphy movie and black exploitation movies in general. Uh, we'll probably do that in the next couple of weeks and maybe get my buddy Chris Buddy, who knows a lot about movies in. Would you be agreeable to that? I'm agreeable to that. If you bring some beer along with it, I'd be even more agreeable. <laughs> beer in the Sun Times studio. Don't tell anybody. Okay, that we won't tell. Don't, don't we tell won't anybody. Tell. One more time, give folks uh, the name of the book and any information like where they can get it, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, Southern, Southern Exposure, the Overlooked Architecture of Chicago's South Side. Beautiful photographs, beautiful text. You can find it online uh, at uh, Amazon or Northwestern University Press.edu. If you're a bookstore type like I am, you can get it at Sen Myers, 57th Street Books, uh, Seminary Books. Uh, and all bookstores around town. Very good. That's Lee Bay. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. This Benny J bonus interview was brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.